Hey now, this is Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about, well, what we've been watching. So my name, it's Dan Barrett. I'm joined here by Chris Yates. Hi, Dan. For those who don't know this here podcast, this is based off 15 years of myself and Chris knowing each other and having a limited set of interests, <laughs> which we ask each other any time we see each other, what have you been watching? That's right. And luckily, we have a lot of crossover there. Yeah, because usually we've watched something. That's right. I, I yeah. watch a lot of stuff. Chris, could we sustain a conversation about sports? Definitely not. Chris, could we sustain a conversation about high art? Definitely not. Chris, could we sustain a conversation about feelings? No, please. No. God, no. God, yeah. no. Or TV, maybe- TV's all we've got. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and it's enough for 15 <laughs> years plus of friendship. Quite frankly, I see this sustaining for like another 25. It's, it's a basis of quite a few of my relationships, really. No, <laughs> no shame to you. I like, no, I mean, quietly. Have a good look going on. Yeah. Um, no, this is, well, we're, we're of that generation. We grew up watching television um, in, instead of having a real life. Um, instead of having active parents. Instead of, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Instead of doing sport. Uh, so sport. it just makes sense. And I feel like our, kind, our people are growing. Yeah. Our, 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 the, the people who watch stuff all the time are becoming more and more because there's so much to watch now. Look, absolutely. Now, Chris, before we dive too far in, I just want to tell people, we've got a website, alwaysbewatching.com, but people don't really go to websites anymore. No. You probably just want to subscribe to this podcast. So if you're listening to the podcast right now, and you must be, or else how am I in your head? <laughs> it makes no sense otherwise. Grab your device, probably a phone, open up the app, and just leave yourself a like, little cheeky review there. You know, five stars preferably. Five is good. We love yeah. five stars. So just open up your app, leave a review. That's all we're after. Am I am I able to review it myself? Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I can't should've... believe you haven't <laughs> yet. Sorry, I should have done that. Yeah. The only thing that stopped me is that my name comes up as my Apple ID. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Very yeah. frustrating. Mm. Yeah. However, we're on all the platforms. So Apple Podcasts, whatever the podcast apps you're using, we're on Spotify. I like Spotify. We're everywhere. I don't like Spotify. They're terrible. Yeah, I mean, they're the devil, but also it's pretty <laughs> Let's good. edit that out in, yeah. case they, in case they listen. No, that good. I like Spotify. <laughs> But Chris, got the website. We do a newsletter every day so people can find news and information about the TV that they're watching. It's all there, alwaysbewatching.com. Chris, let's kick this off. Am I going first this week? <laughs> yeah, I think you are. So, so, yes, let's kick it off. Dan, what have you been watching? God, it gets more natural every week, yeah, doesn't it? it's really good. Okay, Chris, I've got two shows to talk about this week, but I'm going to wait till you ask me a second time later in the podcast before I do that second show. Excellent. But the first show I'm going to talk about it's a little show that I think we've all been excited about called Now Apocalypse. <laughs> oh, yeah, th th that show. Yeah, have you heard of this at all? No. He is pretty. Right? I know it sounds hokey, but I just get this vibe that we're destined to be. Okay, the little Scorpio. Honestly, just looking at it makes me dizzy and hard. You know, when I first met Jethro, seeing him sneeze would make me come. <laughs> but now, like uh, last night, in the middle of f***ing, <clears throat> Jethro leans in. And for some ungodly reason, whispers. Teach me, baby, teach me. What? Uh, teach me. Is that something that you got from a bad porno? Oh, come on, baby. Yeah, teach me how to drive you wild. Yes, baby. Ah, oh, make me a student. Oh, I'm a vessel for your pleasure. Ah, oh, yeah. Ah, oh, teach me, baby. Come on. Just yeah. slow down a little bit, please. Oh, teach me, baby. Teach me. Oh, And it gets worse. He wants me to go to his meditation class tonight. But meditating gives you anxiety. Yeah, I know. It's, just, it's so easy for him. His, his brain's natural resting state is just a blank void of nothingness. Okay, so Chris, 
Remember how the 1990s were a pretty big deal for both of us? I loved the 1990s. Yeah. We were young. It was a good time. It seemed like there was a whole world ahead of us. Didn't have much money. Didn't care. Didn't yeah. need it back then. Wasn't an issue. I mean, you've got Nina Cherry. Yeah, Nina Cherry. You had... Um, uh, Third Eye Blind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had NYPD Blue on the TV. Friends. Yeah. And I didn't watch it. God, how great was Friends? Uh, I, I didn't care for Friends. Me neither. It's fine. People can enjoy it. Yeah. But and I understand You're a Friends person. A... You're a Seinfeld person. Yes. Oh, well, that's right. We had Seinfeld. Jesus. Yeah. How could we forget that? No, exactly. There was a lot of good stuff in the 90s. Anyway, one of the things that I grew up with in the 90s is the idea that independent film was a very cool thing. Yes. Okay, I bought into it. I watched a lot of indies. Absolutely. I'd go to the Dendi. I'd watch, you know, stuff on my limited teenage budget. Hal Hartley. Hal Hartley, yeah. Swoon. (laughs) That's exactly it. One of the indie filmmakers' names that I used to hear all the time, but I never got along to see anything from, and I've always regretted not doing so, Gregoraki. Oh, man. I was a very big Gregoraki fan. That doesn't surprise you. What do you like? What films? Uh, I'm going to have to look them up. There was The Doom, Doom Generation. Generation. was fantastic. Yep. Rose that was M- the big one. Rose McGowan was in that. maybe she, Or maybe not. She was in a couple. Anyway, I'm going to look yeah. it up while you, 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 you cover for me for okay. a minute. So, Gregoraki, pretty big deal okay, in terms of the indie film world. But I would say that the best times for Gregoraki were probably during that 90s period where indie cinema was like just this really vibrant place to be. So, was that a later one, was it? What, Doom Generation? Yeah. No, that was like... Uh, I'm going to say like 96 95 95 not bad, not bad there we go not bad for a film I've never seen um, yeah so it is Rose McGowan just yeah but it's just one of these things that I always wanted to get along to a lot of his films have very sort of strong gay themes running through it uh, he's a gay man himself so obviously he puts a lot of himself into it and I because I haven't seen Doom Generation I don't even know tonally what it's like is it a very serious drama, which is what I always expected, or is it actually a much lighter comedy? Like my memory of them were that they were very, um, very boundary pushing comedies. Like they were, they had very serious themes, very, very dramatic, very, um, uh, you know, intense kind of stuff. But always with a, always, always a bit funny. Always with that sort of very stylized '90s tank girly kind of. Yeah. I don't know, like. I mean, comparing him to other stuff is probably silly because he had such a distinct. You know, he was a, he was probably one of the bigger influences in that whole in that whole thing. So yeah, I always thought of him as being without having actually ever watched any of the stuff. Kind of like a hipper, edgier, like Todd Solans. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. And not too dissimilar, I would say, in some in some ways. So yeah. Look, gosh, looking back, there's only a. F- there's only a few I really remember. The Living End was a big one, and that was like late '90s, wasn't it? Yeah, and Nowhere, yeah. which was '97, is another one that I that I'm very familiar with. But yeah, yeah so this... his biggest time is during the '90s. Totally, uh, he seems to have come around again in the last couple of years, directing a lot of TV. So I had no idea. This is all news to me, and I'm interested. I. Yeah, I, I had no idea he was really still doing a lot of stuff, but he's been doing TV. Uh, there was some episodes of Heather's. Um, I knew that he'd done some episodes of a really cool TV show called Red Oaks. And part of doing Red Oak is this relationship that he's formed with one Steven Soderbergh. Oh, my God. Now, I'd presume both being 90s film directors, like, they probably had a fair bit of crossover back in the day. So, I'm sure that, you know, it isn't a recent sort of friendship that they've formed. But, interestingly, Soderbergh's been going around producing a lot of TV shows around the place. And he'd always populate the creatives behind the scenes with a lot of these indie filmmakers that he's got, like, an affinity for. So he's got this wow. he's got this opportunity to do these shows and the most recent one is this thing called Now Apocalypse where he's gone to Gregoraki and said look I can get a TV show made do you want a TV show Gregoraki's like yeah I want a TV show they've made a TV show amazing 
Now, as I said, this is the first time I've ever watched a Gregoraki thing. I was really surprised at how funny this is. This is a really charming, incredibly lo-fi, low... I'm going to say low stakes in what's happening specifically in the episode. Mm -hmm. But as I talk about it, you'll hear there's probably a bit more going on. And it's not quite as low stakes as it seems. So it's a story effectively about four people. You've got this uh, main guy. He's a young guy. Like, they're all in their early 20s. Yep. Uh, he's a gay guy. There's a guy that he's really interested in of whom keeps on sort of blowing him off via, you know, um, you know, the various apps. The apps. Anyway, he's been wanting <laughs> to meet this guy. He just keeps on, you know, just ignoring him. And he finally, in the first episode, gets the opportunity to meet him in like this um, cafe. They hit it off. Things seem to be going pretty well for them. They have an encounter out in the alley outside the place. Things are going perfectly fine. However, there still seems to be some sort of a distance. So something's going to go on with him. So you've got that storyline taking place. You've got this guy's best friend who's a cam girl. And so she's an aspiring actress because, you know, it's like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. They're all aspiring actresses and actors and mm-hmm. screenwriters. Uh, she's a cam girl, but also she does like a bit of uh, dominatrix stuff. Mm-hmm. There's this great scene where she's doing the cam girl business. And this guy's, you know, he's supposed to be the slave to her dominatrix. And she's like, what do you want? Oh, tell me what, what I'm doing. Tell me what I'm doing. And so she gets him to start reading lines with him. Okay. <laughs> At which point, good. like that was too much for him. Yeah. And he wanted nothing to do with that anymore. Yeah, yeah it's anyway, great. It's very funny. It's a very sort of light tone. Uh, his best friend that he went to uni with uh, is now like his housemate. He's an aspiring playwright. Um, his sexuality is a little bit ambiguous. Uh, he seems to be straight, but also, you know, there's elements not so much. Um, so it's Gregoraki playing around with gay themes quite heavily within this, in the same way I suspect is the case with all of his films. Yeah, and, and sort of interesting, like, you know, non-conventional relationships, I think. Absolutely. Like, you know, sort of threesome, you know, style relationships and that yeah. kind of stuff definitely were a very big part of it. Um, and then you've got the girlfriend of, like, the housemate that is also playing a role here. So you've got, like, it's a traditional, like, comedy drama taking place. It's... It feels very sort of edgy. It feels very 90s in a way that it's lit and it's very vibrant and it's just an interesting looking production. But there's also this sense that there's something else taking place. Mm. And so your main character, he kind of has like these sort of premonitions. There's something happening. And at the very beginning, you see like this sort of dream sequences in where he goes around the like this sort of alleyway area and there's something terrible happening around the corner and he can't quite work out what it is. But then, like, he sees what it is. The audience doesn't see it. And so, mm. as the show opens, it's kind of like a... Uh, it's almost like an X-Files episode where suddenly the camera, like, zooms in on the person who's witnessing a horror and is like, oh! <laughs> so, you got that happening. At the end of the episode, you see what's taking place as the fantasy from his mind becomes a real thing that he experiences. After he leaves that guy in the alleyway, he walks around the corner and sees you yeah. know, this image. And it's a large, um, I'm going to say, like, monster... Yes, type right. thing of whom is uh, raping a man. Like, yes, well, wow. yeah, it's it's played comedically, but it's very dark comedy. It's, yeah, you know, it, it's just playing around with incredibly dark, interesting themes. Uh, this is not a show that's going to be for everyone. No, it's interesting. But oh. if you can watch it for like five minutes and like you tap into it, I think, like myself, you're in on this show. And, and um, it's really interesting. I'm looking back. I'm just um, scrolling through uh, his his '90s films while you say it, and um, you know they all 
definitely have elements of, of this thing that you're describing. They're also all very short films. They're all like sort of 90 minutes or under, which is an interesting thing. That's kind yeah. of that sort of, they're, they're, they're a bit pulpy. The other thing that's interesting, like some of them have got like really small budgets and um and they were really lo-fi, but they're all, um, they've all rated really badly in Rotten Tomatoes and all those kind of things, which I find really interesting. And I wonder if that's a modern lens looking at them. Obviously, they, um, those sites probably... I don't know when they all started, but that wouldn't have been stuff that came out at the so time. Are you talking about like the audience figures or are you talking about the critics? I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm just talking about the one that comes up underneath it. So, so th- that'll be, be the critics more. thing. But I would imagine with Grokoraki, and I say this with my only experience being this current TV show, but I would imagine that he's probably a fairly polarizing. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. If, if you don't dig the vibe, you're not going to dig. Yeah, sure. Yeah. This, but I've got memories of all of them and um, of, of of a bunch of them anyway from then. And I, uh, yes, definitely very much enjoyed watching it. This yeah. is fascinating to me. What's interesting watching the casting of it is I don't know the main guy in it. He's really charismatic. I'm like, I've got to look at him more. Like, I don't know if he's been in something that's actually fairly notable. But the housemate is one of the boyfriends from the teen comedy Awkward. And ah, the, yes. the other girls in it, like, they're also from other teen shows from the last couple of years. So I think there's probably going to be quite a few fans of each of them who are going to come to this and be really quite surprised <laughs> yeah. by what they're seeing. And that's the best case scenario, really. That's Absolutely. A fan- that's a fantastic outcome for that. Yeah. But everyone in it's really good. Like, I'm very excited about seeing episode two. Uh, in the US, this is a stars program. In Australia, you can get it here on Stan. Oh, fantastic. There's a reason for me to uh, renew my subscription to Stan, which I do once every sort of few months. You know, I'll say this about Stan. I really found myself just struggling to justify a subscription with them for like a good year and a half. The last, I don't know, like maybe four to five months, like it just seems like they've got a lot of just really interesting, cool stuff taking place on yeah, there. Yeah, great. It's good. I, I sort of just let it lapse when I'm, when I, you know, not actively looking for something on there. I think like the Sasha Baron Cohen show, you know, I yeah. signed up, watched all that and haven't really signed back up since then. But, but yeah, um, this yeah. is a good one. I think you'd dig it. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yes. Sounds very interesting. Thank yeah. you for bringing that to my attention, Dad. Again, I stress, this is not for everyone. <laughs> And this is the thing. We're going to talk about shows on here that we quite like and we've had a reaction to. We'll probably talk about some bad things as well. Yes, I, I think so. It's it's an yeah. interesting thing. I, I was thinking about this, you know, you get into this kind of... In, in critic, uh, being critical in general um, these days is a really interesting thing. Like, uh, you know, there's so much to talk about and you really... You do want to talk about things that you like. This whole idea of sort of... Uh, outside of film reviews, I think you still get a lot of film negative film reviews, mm. but you don't sort of get a lot of negative criticism about TV or about music or about books and stuff anywhere near as much as you used to, I would argue. Look, I think the shift that's happening, and I am very guilty of this, which is that there's so much good TV around and you can generally tell the things you're not really quite going to be into. So why focus on the negative when yeah, sure. you can find something that you think people probably should be watching and it's good to do what this podcast is effectively doing, which is just giving something a platform saying... This is what it's about. I had this reaction to it. I think you're going to like it. And just raise the awareness of it. It's really interesting. I used to be a music reviewer. um, And I used to, you know, a long time ago, um, I I purposely took on that sort of role of, you know, back in the street press days, every street press had one jerk who would just like tear (laughs) stuff to pieces. And um, I relished the opportunity to do that for many years. And then I had a few experiences where I realized that, uh, you know, I was hurting real people's feelings. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 you know, I wasn't just limiting my, you know, it's fine if you want to make fun of something 
awful like um, Green Day or the Red Hot Chili Peppers, for example. And but, justifiably you know, so. And justifiably so. But when you're doing it, you know, and I was doing it on a much more local level and I had a really, uh, you know, I, I had an awakening about that and stopped doing it. But then, um, and, and that's become kind of the, you know, a lot of, especially um, music criticism has become more about this, like, um, if you, yeah, yeah, it's about amplifying good stuff and not necessarily, um, you know, making fun of bad stuff. But are we... I was thinking about just just the other day. Are we losing a little bit of our ability to critically um, analyze stuff if we're just focusing on the things that we like? Okay, so here's the thing: a big part of what I'm having trouble with because I've worn the hat of TV critic around the place. I've been on the radio pretty frequently. People like it's TV critic Dan Barrett, and then I come out and do my little song and dance and <laughs> celebrate <laughs> something. Throw some peanuts, something. Right? Yeah, yeah. Throw some peanuts. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. I've done that a fair bit, but I've kind of found that things these days, and you see this with Rotten Tomatoes and other things where there's these big movies that'll come out and they've got huge, like, popular appeal, and then people get upset with the critics because the critics don't like it. Yeah. Okay, and so they're like, well, the critics don't know what they're talking about. I think the reality is, and you find this with TV more than anything else, but movies certainly fall into the bucket as well. People have such niche interests now that as long as something is fulfilling what they're passionate about, yes, they're going to like it. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely true. There is just so much stuff out there that you can fill your niche interest bucket quite happily. Yeah. Okay, and just to the detriment of everything else. So it's not necessarily whether something is necessarily what we'd perceive as being like a good or a bad show or movie anymore, but really just, you know, what are the points of passion that you connect into? Yeah, and I wonder, but this kind of illustrates my point even still, like, you know, does that as a, you know, maybe as an audience, as a, you know, I I think more about young audiences who don't experience, you know, that negativity in in criticism anymore, does that, you know, impact on their ability to critically analyse things in a way that we maybe learnt from, you know, reading people pull stuff to pieces and go like, oh, actually, you know, that makes sense. That is kind of, I don't, you know, the way they've done that is stupid. Or, I don't know. It's just, I don't think there's an answer, right? It's just interesting. Yeah. So I'm at an age in my life where I'm having to awkwardly move the conversation from saying I'm in my mid thirties to I'm in my late thirties. <laughs> I've kind of reached that point and it's early forties is right around the corner, Dan. <laughs> like, and it's, it's terrifying. I, I don't even want to go there, but uh, because of the age I'm at, I still connect like my previous employer. I'd still connect to a lot of the people who are in their like twenties and yeah. early thirties. So I'm like at an age where I can kind of transcend sort of, you know, sure, sure. like young professionals and old professionals, old professionals. <laughs> such a, yeah. But anyway, like I'm kind of sort of within that. And I'd always notice when I'm talking to like my younger colleagues at the time about like the art and TV that they're consuming that always be like fairly critical of things, but not really in a way that we were critical of things yeah. like at that age, but really that sort of frame it. And so that they knew what they liked about it and could talk about the construction of it and what's interesting about it. And they can pull it apart that way, but they never really rip into things in a way yeah. that we used to. And I think isn't that maybe better. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just something that I really, yeah. And yeah, I just noticed it with like the my younger friends yeah. that, you know, that's what they do as opposed to people my age and older where, you know, we just, we're merciless. Once you turn 40, those younger friends stop calling. <laughs> tell me, I tell you what, it's just, it's, it's a desert. Uh, no, but that's, yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And it's just something yeah. that I really became conscious of, mostly through my own experience. But, and especially doing this where I was like, I was thinking about a, a show that I, tried to watch um, that I just hated, you know, and I was like, oh, I could talk about why I hate this so much. But then I thought, 
you know, there's really no point in. I don't think there's a point in doing that when we can spend our time being, you know, actually recommending stuff to people. It's and maybe also, more useful. Not everything has to be for you. No, that's right too. Yeah, yes. and I think it's important for a lot of critics to say, look, I mean, it, I didn't really dig it, but I kind of understand who would like it, and I think they'd like it because of this. But I don't connect to that. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Chris Yates, this is a great opportunity for me to ask just a little question that we do pose around here. What have you been watching? Okay, well, I don't think I've talked to you about this at all either. You won't be shocked that I'm um, watching it, but you might be shocked that I've only just discovered it. So I I stumbled across this on ABC Comedy, and I'm disappointed to find out that it's already finished. It's already been cancelled as well. But it's a show called Idiot Sitter. Okay, yeah. Idiot Sitter It is is surprising that you're not into this, because there's a star in this series that you connect to quite heavily. Absolutely. Can I be honest with you, Bill? You know, my, my, my daughter's a great gal, but she had some trouble with school. Uh, mm. I, that's great. I taught in grad school, so I could tutor oh, her. Well, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, she has to pass her GED. I'm sorry? It was part of the deal I worked out with the judge. Ju- now, what my judge? daughter has, uh, how do I put this, a criminal past, present. You know, I probably should just let you do me. Uh, oh, hey. The- oh, f- Am I late? No. I wanted to make a good first impression. Is this her? <laughs> She's gorgeous. This your natural skin? Can I touch yeah, it? Yeah, no, no. It's okay. I like guys. Oh, who are you? This is my daughter, Genevieve. This is Bobby. Oh, you can call me Jean. Like uh, Eugene Levy. Just the Jean part. <laughs> I thought you said your daughter was seven. No, oh, she caught us. So, yes, the main star of the show, I will say the main star, is um, Gillian Bell, whose name might not be that familiar, but it should be. Gillian Bell played Gillian in one of the greatest shows of our <laughs> modern era, Workaholics. Um, but th- people also know her from, like, the, she was in 22 Jump Story. She's had some great spots in movies. Yeah. Also did an, an excellent stint as Tim Heidecker's wife in the last season of Eastbound and Down, <laughs> yeah. um, which was just, which really, I, f- I felt like that whole circle of friends really raised that show for that last season and took it somewhere great yeah she's one of the like really good comedy actors at the moment absolutely and so this show sets around she's the daughter of a rich um couple one of my other favorite actors Stephen root is her father <laughs> um, jimmy james from news radio which yeah and nobody other than you or me know who know that that's jimmy james um jimmy james but he's also of course many of the voice much of the voice talent from King of the Hill he did about four characters in that he's just amazing also people have known from like Coen Brothers movies yeah he does like proper stuff as well as the two weird outlier things that we watch Um, (laughs) so he's fantastic but the other it's created by Gillian and Charlotte Newhouse who I wasn't familiar with at all she's done a lot of one-offs she was in Reno 0911 which I've watched a little bit of it's pretty funny Um, and this other show that I saw that I read about which is called Brainstorm which is about an ad an advertising agency um, it was only a one season you know we, we love the one season sitcom oh yeah this thing sounds great I'm going to send you a link to that and or maybe I'll just talk about it. maybe I'll just try and watch it next week and talk about it so like uh, she's very interesting but the other the uh, another actor that's in it who's fantastic is Elizabeth Durazo who you might know as Stevie's wife Maria also from Eastbound and Down <laughs> yeah who's just this who I just fell down a rabbit hole researching she has um Starting all of your favorite shows, Dan. She was in West Wing. She was in Six Feet Under. She was in um, Cold Case. I've written, oh, ER, she was in. She's been in everything. She's one of those, I mean, you know, one of those TV actors. I think she's of Mexican heritage. She was raised in America. Of course, Eastbound and Down make her do a terrible racist uh, accent and stuff because that's the nature of that show. But she's just awesome. And so she's like, I think she plays the maid typically in this show as well of the rich people. But the premise is that, yes, 
uh, Jillian Bell is in ha- is on house arrest. Her parents can't trust her, and so they've hired Charlotte Newhouse to be her babysitter, to be her idiot sitter, uh, under the guise that she's going to be a babysitter, and she figures out it's this full grown person. And this is very much the workaholic style comedy. It's like big, broad, gross. <laughs> it's, it's gross. It's really stupid, and like, but like smart stupid. And I watched like three episodes and didn't actually pick up the premise. Like I had to actually like I, I didn't really get to that. I was like, I kind of don't understand. What the relationships are here in this show, um, which might just be my, you know, ignorance. Or just- yeah, that's on you. I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, and I was just so caught up in the performances because it's very funny. And Julian is so good. So it's just like, I mean, yes, it is one of these very broad uh, things. I actually assumed that it, it has a very similar, you know, start sequence to Workaholics as well. I actually assumed it came from, you know, that might have had something to do with them, but I don't think it does at all. No, I don't think so. Um, so this show was so successful, two seasons. Yeah. And the second season <laughs> yeah, was yeah. so beloved by the network. Comedy Central that they chose you know what we're not even going to put this out week to week we're just going to create two batches of episodes yeah. and put them out over two days that's right and yeah. now you know and it's now it's in the the prime spot of like 11pm on ABC Comedy in Australia but uh, yeah it's uh, and yeah it was so good they chose not to keep on making it <laughs> so anyway yes this is my recommendation for everyone now but I think like you know it's well if, if you're a fan of Gillian which you absolutely should be it's well worth it just to sort of um, watch her oh there was another movie I saw her in really recently where she just did an amazing job. Um, maybe she was like Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell's wife or something. Oh, I don't know. Uh, but yes, so Idiot Sitter, Idiot Sitter, check it out while it's still on the ABC2 before it disappears forever. And then the US, obviously, it's Comedy Central. Comedy so Central show. I'm guessing it's probably like the Comedy Central apps. It would be like replayed, I guess, for a little bit. But um, yes, very highly relevant, highly, highly vital show, Idiot Sitter. Now, um, did you see Gillian Bell in Fist Fight, which is a Ice Cube Charlie Day joint? Oh, my God, but I'm writing that down. We'll make sure I watch that as soon as possible. Are you looking at her IMDb? I may have gone Whenever. through that. May have perused. I don't know what the other thing was. But anyway, yeah, I'm just a massive, massive, massive fan. And you should be too. And she's very funny. So watch a bit of Idiot Sitter before it disappears forever. Dan, what have you been watching? I'm going to talk about a little British show called Ill Behaviour. No, I haven't heard of this. I've been doing loads more research. I've got some really exciting stuff to tell you. You can't just keep walking in here like this. So, to cure Hodgkin's, all you need is to blast away with a basic ABVD chemo cocktail. Doxorubicin, bleomycin, vimblastin and a decarbazine chaser. Right. ABVD's not even that expensive. A couple of grand should cover it. Right, so we just get into Boots and ask for a couple of grand's worth of chemotherapy medicine. No. Nadia's got a contact. Black market trucks. Yeah, that's more grey market. We're having this conversation. No, it's all above board, ethically, if not quite legally. I know you care about Charlie, I do too, but this is not happening. Look, we have reasoned with him. We've got a doctor to reason with him. I've talked to Kira, we've tried everything, and none of it's worked. So we've got two choices. We sit back and watch Charlie die, or we kidnap him and give him chemo until he's cured. Now, I hadn't heard about this either until just recently. This is a show, and... What's the best TV show that's ever been made? Seinfeld? The Simpsons? British. Peep Show? Peep Show. Thanks. So, Peep Show, written and created by two guys. Uh, one of them went off to make Succession, the HBO show. Yeah. This is surprising to a lot of people that um, that, that uh, Mitchell and um, Webb actually have very little to do with the writing of... Yeah. Um, peep show or anything i don't they don't write it at all do they they're not really i think i think they're kind of brought in as like that bounced off off them but was... if, if you watch their hit and miss um <laughs> the hit and miss sketch show uh that mitchell and webb look mitchell and webb look you will um know that yeah. they're not as skilled as the writers of peep show no. although that's very good as well yeah, it wasn't bad 
Yeah, I constantly think about Michelin Web sketches. They've got some, yes, there's some great sketches. There's a great sketch about how it's a hit and miss show, and they write the misses and they get the other good writers to write the hits. The best sketch from that show is the one where uh, they're giving uh, it's Robert Webb uh, gifts of heroin, <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's just what I was always after. Yeah, he's a heroin is. junkie. That's a very good one. Yeah. Uh, also, the um, holistic. Oh no, the um, naturopath emergency room. <laughs> Where they <laughs> yep. they treat a they treat an, a person who's been hit by a Toyota by giving them a little tiny bit of a Toyota diluted <laughs> a ten thousand times to save them. Very it's a good. funny joke. Funny show. Yeah, and of course every number wang number wang of course number yeah. wang phenomenal. Forget. Anyway, I sorry for digressing there. Sam Bain, one of the co-creators of Peep Show, uh, he's got this new show called Ill Behavior. It was a one season and done. It very much tells a very specific story. Intended to be one season. Intended to be one season. Uh, This show stars Chris Gere, who people would know from You're the Worst. So he's the British guy in You're the Worst. Mm -hmm. Uh, He plays a British guy in this, but also it's in Britain. So it's just, he's a guy. (laughs) He's just a guy. Uh, Tom Riley, who was in Da Vinci's... Oh gosh, what was that show called? Uh, Da Vinci's Demons, I want to say it was called. Mm. Uh, You haven't watched the show. It's fine. No one did. And it wasn't very good, so, you know, that's fine. Uh, but anyway, he played Leonardo da Vinci, you know. Uh, and then there's also an actress you may have heard of called Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love Lizzie Kaplan so much. Yeah. But anyway, I was completely on board with seeing Chris Gere and Lizzie Kaplan in a show together. Both of them, I think, are just, like, really great comedic performers. In this, the premise of the series is that Chris Gere's character, he's been dating a really incredibly wealthy woman. Uh, she's divorced him, and so she's just given him, like, a two million pound payout. Mm. Okay, so he's, like, he's heartbroken and doesn't know what to do with the money, and, you know, he's just distraught. Then he finds out that one of his closest friends, uh, this guy named Charlie, he's got Hodgkin's. Ah, Hodgkin's yes. Hodgkin's right. Sure. Yeah. But thankfully, it's the good sort of Hodgkin's where you can treat it. Oh, lucky. With science. And as uh, the Chris Gear character, Joel, finds out... Uh, it's got a 94% success rate if he goes through chemo. Mm. So he's like, you know, this is good news. You know, it's, yes. it's not going to be great. It's going to be tough going, but, you know, it's going to have a good prognosis at the end. 94% chance. That's great. The thing is, Charlie and his wife, who is very much into holistic medicine, okay, decide that they don't want to go down the chemotherapy, chemotherapy route, but rather they want to use natural therapies. Yes, right. At which point Joel is aghast and doesn't know what to do. And I've got another really good friend of theirs, Tess, who is a uh, administrative sort of a person. She doesn't really like her job and spends most of her day secretly writing a sci-fi romance sex novel that she's <laughs> doing at work. Much like yourself. Much like myself. So I could really relate to that. And then also the Chris Gear character, he goes on this date with the world's worst doctor who's taking whatever drug she can get her hands on. And she's got a sex addiction problem, a drug addiction problem. She's got it all happening. Much like yourself. Much like myself. <laughs> and it's Lizzie Kaplan. I'm sorry. That's so really you got these four characters. As Joel finds out that Charlie's got Hodgkins, he decides that the only thing that makes sense is for him to rent out a very large house out in the country. At which point, him and Tess will kidnap Charlie, take him to like the basement there for three months, where they will force him to undergo chemotherapy. This is with so the Lizzie Kaplan character who has no morals whatsoever getting involved in this. She doesn't want to get involved in it, but he's got two million pounds, and so she gets involved in it. That's amazing. So over the course of the six episodes that we see here in Australia, he kidnaps the friend, the friend obviously resents him, 
uh, Joel ends up going to tell the wife that, you know, he's he's okay, but he can't really bring those words out. Also, he's got a thing for us, so he slowly starts <laughs> trying to build a relationship there and creates this... It, it becomes one lie after the next that, obviously, by the final episode, all unravels and then, you know, hilarity is sure to ensue. Oh, my God. Anyway, if you like Peep Show, if you like this cast, like, you're in on this show. If, like myself, you're a man of science... You'll really appreciate the messaging of this program. If you're someone of whom believes in natural therapy, you're going to be so angry with this program. <laughs> you're not going to care for this at all. You're really going to hate it. You are going to despise this program. That's only enough reason for me. <laughs> only makes me want to like it even more. In the U- uh, in the UK, this aired as three one hours. For some reason, here in Australia, we're getting it here on Stan, and they're doing it as six half hours. Mm. So I don't quite understand why it's broken down, but they work well as half hour episodes. It's good. It's very easy to watch. Maybe watch the first half and then the second half, and it's a good two-afternoon run for you. Definitely getting Stan. You've just doubled my value for Stan, haven't you? <laughs> Man, that's been a big Stan plugathon, hasn't that's it? That's awesome. Yeah. But anyway, um, ill behavior, like, well worth it. Now, Chris, what have you been watching? I am just going to do a quick one. There's not a lot to say about this show. Well, there is, but um, I've, I'm only... Uh, it's, it's a bit different. We, we tend to talk more about the sort of drama and the comedy and that kind of stuff. I'm going to go with a um, very... I, what I assume is a quite high-profile Netflix show, Chef's Table. Okay. Um, I'm not a cooking show... Co- well, that's not true. I am. I've watched... You know, thousands of hours of cooking shows in my life, but mostly just because I didn't, you know, I was unemployed for a period. I used to sit on the couch. <laughs> uh, Huey was on, um, you know, there was a lot of Gabrielle Gatte. Talking about the 90s, we it had a lot like of. Sounds like you were unemployed quite a while ago. <laughs> we had a lot of, yeah, well, I was, you know, I've come a long way. Um, but the, um, to my current under underemployment. <laughs> um, but no, they are, uh, so, you know, like cooking shows, obviously, traditionally, you know, they've been around forever. As long, mm. you know, as soon as there was television, there was people wanting to cook on television for some reason. Chef's Table is a really, it's more of a biographical show about chefs. This looks at like high-end chefs, you know, who do these sort of set menus around the world, very highly themed. Um I think there's been this is the sixth season now that's on Netflix. Each one is four. It's only four four episodes. They got there an hour each. And it's like an international show with yeah, kitchens yeah. from around the world. Yeah, and they're just like they're cinematically gorgeous. It's been shot like no other kind of show. You don't see recipes and stuff, but you see the chefs talking about their inspiration. It's very philosophical. It's 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 I guess a bit highbrow, especially by my standards. But uh, I just get so swept up in it. It's just an amazing. It's an amazing production, and like I, I kind of think that it's taken. Yeah, it's definitely taken the idea of a cooking show into some sort of new, excellent territory. Yeah. So the guy that created this, I think his name's David Gelb. Mm-hmm. Okay. He is also the guy, the documentarian that made Jury Dreams of Sushi. Oh yes. Which so is, if people saw that, this is a very similar. Absolutely. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I didn't know that, but it makes complete sense, and I love that. Obviously, yeah. that's an incredible, incredible documentary. Um, yeah. And so this, and and that's very philosophical and more about. It's more about the chef and his sort of personal story and how he's got there. Um, so the sixth season is so good. I've watched two episodes. The first one um, is about Mashama Bailey. I think I'm saying her name right. Who is from Savannah in Georgia, in the south of the US, and it talks about her story, um, realizing that she can sort of turn the southern food that she grew up with into this. Um, she becomes it's it's an awesome story because she kind of becomes this gourmet chef, who then is looking for her, uh, you know, looking for her muse, looking for what makes what's going to make her food. Uh, separate and you know stand out from from the other you know well regarded chefs. And, and sorry, you're talking about like the most recent season, is yes, that right? Yeah. Yes, and so um, and so she just you know she realizes 
you know the old the old saying write what you know or something like that and realize that if she looks back to her to her past um that she can kind of elevate that food and bring it into what she does and it's just amazing watching her story she turns she she um turns her restaurant in savannah or she turns a bus basically what was a segregated a segregated bus station into her restaurant and, and keeps a lot of the things there so there's these kind of reminders of where her direct you know where her um family came from and the the struggles they had to put up with just amazing fantastic stuff I, I just couldn't i think it's probably one of the best episodes of the of the entire run and there's been some crackers um and i i watched the second one as well which was about dario ciccini i think is his name uh, is another one who's like a tuscan butcher who just um was an eighth generation butcher who was going to be the the one who broke away from the family tradition of being butchers and went to the city um to study veterinary science so he was yeah. going to become a vet and um, when he was in his... Not, not dissimilar. No, well, in, in, interestingly, right? But he wanted to... He, he felt like he'd come from a uh, family that had slaughtered animals for generations and he wanted to save animals. And so, um, but two years into his study or some period into his study, his um, father uh, dies and he has to return and run the family business and sort of feels like his whole life has come crashing down but turns it around into this amazing story of sort of how he learned to respect the animals that he was... Um, slaughtering and, and so it's about like but it's very and so that's a very different uh, a very different story but you know with that same sort of passion about food and this incredible backstory and this great philosophy and it's just if you're you know like um, they're, they're more stories about the human condition and all that kind of thing and they're all successful people obviously and, and they've all come from very different backgrounds all the chefs on it and and the, the other thing that I wanted to mention about this um, particular season is that I don't know if this is um, I, I actually don't know if she's been it before but there's a fantastic uh, food critic called Salman Nosrat, I think is her name. And um, she has a show that's also another very high uh, quality uh, cooking show on Netflix, which is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And she is just incredible to watch. She loves her food. She just unabashedly like uh, enjoys and and and. I don't know. She's she's incredible. So getting her as a talking head on a few episodes, she could very easily have been in earlier ones that I just wasn't aware of her. Um, but that so yes, that's another little sly. Watch that one as well if you're into that kind of stuff. But yeah, so Chef's Table on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix has so many good cooking shows. Mm, it's just amazing. What I think is phenomenal about the cooking shows, and I think maybe speaks to what it is that I like about Netflix as a service provider, is that you think about the cooking show, and as you said, like it's a genre that's been around since yeah. man climbed out of the primordial ooze, <laughs> yes. realized they should create television, and then cooked on it. Yeah. So it's been a long time genre, but. Netflix, you, you think about the cooking shows that are on TV, like on broadcast TV, and it's all these composition and reality cooking shows. Totally, yes. Yeah, it doesn't really feel authentic to real life in a way that a reality show probably should. Yeah. But you watch on Netflix and you've got these great sort of heartfelt stories about things that are actually meaningful. That's like actual real human experience totally. being shown on there and the way that's brought through in food. And you even look at like things like on the Food Network and like none of those shows ever had this sort of a connection to actual food. No, it's so funny. And it seems like it's it's interesting because we've had this sort of cult of the celebrity chef for a long yeah. time now. And, you know, you've got your Jamie's and your Nigella's and, and um, your Hewitson's. And but, um, <laughs> there's nothing really wrong with what they do. No, absolutely not. And, it, and if anything, this kind of takes that... I mean, obviously, you know, we learn a lot about Nigella and we learn a lot about Jamie from these shows. So, and, yeah. and that's something that I think, if anything, these Netflix shows have picked up on that aspect of the shows. And they're like, well, they don't, you don't necessarily have to learn how to cook 
Jamie's scrambled eggs, but you can, you know, you can learn a little, you can learn a lot more about the person and that can be a really interesting and, and interesting watch and a, and a kind of a journey to take. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've recently started doing the same thing with dating. There's a show called Dating Around, mm. which seems to take the same aesthetic of yeah, these right. food shows, but bringing it to, you know, relationships. And it just to me points out like the difference between Netflix and broadcast TV, where you just don't see these actual, you know, human connections. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's it's one of the many, fa- many ways broadcast TV <laughs> is failing at all. And on that note, Chris, let's get out of here. <laughs> Excellent. This has been Always Be Watching. Uh, my name's Dan Barrett. My name's Chris Yates. And thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. Leave reviews if you've been enjoying this podcast. It really helps us, you know, find other listeners. Tell your friends. More listeners we have, the longer this thing sticks around. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's a very sort of clear relationship between yeah. you leaving a review and you being able to continue listening to this podcast if you like it. Totally. So do it. Yeah, please do. Anyway, this has been Always Be Watching. Uh, you can find us at alwaysbewatching.com and you'll find us in your ears next week. Same time, same back channel. Thanks for having me again, Dan. Thank you, Chris. Chris.